The Rufus Project would like to advise the following podcast contains spoilers for the 1979 movie Hair. If you do not wish to have this movie spoiled, please watch the movie before listening to the following podcast. Is it a fun movie version of a famous musical, or does it need a haircut and a real job? We watched Hair from 1979 to see if it was redeemable. Were we successful? Find out after the theme. So that it's good, what's this movie do you think we should? Got bad I love dodgy creatures, but we want to know what the redeeming features. Hello and welcome to the Rufus Project Redeeming Features Cast, this time looking at Hair from 1979. I'm your host Trevor Holland and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host... Christian Fletcher, thank you, it's great as always to be back Trevor, and I don't know necessarily if the movies are always good, but I know I always enjoy our chats, <laughs> so thank you. Oh, my my pleasure, and and just to so you all know, um, yes, we had more technical issues, and again, we are recording a a redeeming features for a movie for a second time because the first one disappeared somewhere into the internet and could not be retrieved. So, yeah, we admit we already know each other's opinions, but hopefully, we can still guide you through the joy of discovery as we work out whether this movie is redeemable. I suppose you've got me to blame for this, Trevor. So I, you know, I'm glad I was able to suggest hair from 1979. So even though, I, as you said, I do know your opinion, I, um, yeah, I'm always happy to to chat with you and your thoughts about the movie. Absolutely, it's not just about the opinions. There's so much more, like what the movie is about, for example. Um, so I'll grab this little quick summary from the web. The vital, idealistic energy of this musical epitomizes the spirit of the 1960s as the age of Aquarius. A square Oklahoma Vietnam draftee on his way to an army training camp in Nevada who was adopted by a group of New York City flower children. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up in a nutshell, with probably about 35 songs woven into it in between and making a two-hour movie. So, yeah, I think that sums it up quite well and, and being an adaptation of a of a hit, hit Broadway, I suppose we could say, Broadway or worldwide hit. Musical, so um, yeah, so um, I think that pretty much sums it up quite well. Excellent, and and of course we do need to talk turkey trivia. Uh, so um, I've dug up the figures for this. So first, let's talk turkey. Uh, it's rated seven point six out of ten on IMDb, so quite high for a redeeming features movie. Uh, the budget was eleven million dollars. It took fifteen point two million at the box office in the USA. And uh, because we've only got the USA figures here, uh, it's since had rentals uh, totaling about $6.8 million. So considering when it was made, that probably was considered quite successful. Yeah, and I think it's it's sort of subsequently, it's kind of gone on to be a bit of a, not a sleeper hit, but yeah, sort of one of those movies that sort of came and went. But I don't know, I, I sort of throw the word cult classic around a lot, but it's it's definitely kind of got cult status. But yeah, I would have been surprised, I would have thought that the um, the figures would have been higher, but that sort of touches on some of my opinions about the, um, the film adaptation and probably the fact that, was it possibly 10 years too late and that could have been reflected in the box office? So I don't know. No, but we will touch on that a bit more. 
Indeed we shall, but we'll uh, talk a bit of trivia as well first. I've got a few bits and pieces here. Now, the actual, the uh, the director, um, uh, Milos Forman, he attended the very first off-Broadway performance of Hair in 1967 in New York. He told the music's, uh, the musical's creators that he was interested in making a film version of the stage musical and to please consider him for directing his production. Gosh, what a shame that he didn't strike while the iron was hot and actually make it when, when Hair was probably a bit more relevant in the late 60s. So, But I suppose he was happy to have ended up helming it sort of, you know, 12 years down the track. But interesting choice for director, you know, like when I think Milos Forman, I think Amadeus and um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And, and in, essentially Hair very much had the feel of those movies, you know, very much in the, the, the style, I suppose. But, yeah, he was a very interesting choice. But interesting to know that he was um, sort of um, speaking to them from day one about it and ended up fulfilling that role. It's very interesting. Yeah, but then you look at another bit of the trivia. I don't know if uh, he was their first choice uh, because... George Lucas was offered the chance to direct the movie in the early 1970s, but turned it down as he was developing American graffiti. Oh, gosh. So that might have even changed the entire course of his career, and he may not even ended up making Star Wars. He might have ended up just being known for this hippie tribal music from the early 70s. So that is some interesting bit of trivia. And, um, and you know, I've heard of, you know, th- things such as, um, you know, people like Madonna and oh, there were some others, I think it was even Patrick Swayze, auditioned to be dancers in this um, film adaptation. And, um, you know, obviously it's filled so many hippies and a lot of crowd sequences and things like that. So, yeah, a lot of famous names were sort of auditioned but turned down um, for um, for appearing in it. And um, I always get excited seeing um, Beverly D'Angelo actually pre-National Lampoon's Vacation. And she actually, I don't know if it's just me, Trevor, she seems older in hair than she looked in the 80s. I don't know if it was the hairstyle or something. Oh, how appropriate hair. <laughs> yeah, I think it may have been, to tell you the truth, but I did notice that as well, thinking, hang on, how can she look older in this when she does in National Lampoon's Vacation? It was yeah. uh, very interesting. Um, <laughs> I know. But uh, just just to uh, also just continue on with that George Lucas uh, connection, once it was made, uh, the publicity for the picture stated the film was the Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope of, music, of uh, Movie Musicals and the best movie musical since Cabaret. Oh, interesting taglines. But the funny thing is I'd probably compare it quite a lot to Cabaret in the fact that it had pretty much, I don't know what's the polite word to use, it pretty much messed up its source material and pretty much created something totally different to the um, stage adaptation. And I think that probably comes down to a lot of the reason why I've chosen this for Redeeming Features. You're probably wondering with such a high rating why a film like this was chosen, but it sort of has got so many detractors, this film. There's a lot of people that love it and there's a lot of people that adore the stage show and just see that this is an, a, an absolute abomination you know, of the source material. I came into hair very much as a, as a fan of the the movie actually you know i'd first seen that and then i've subsequently you know got to love the soundtracks and got to know all the extra songs and and watched a lot of um productions on youtube and things like that so i'm a lot more familiar now with the stage show so going back to the movie as we have done with this podcast it infuriates me somewhat so that's probably a lot to do with why we've chosen this today trevor so that will come up (laughs) that will come up a lot the major plot changes in a lot of my um my reason for this choice Fair enough, and I think that leads us nicely to us setting our baseline. You may have even done that for us. Uh, but I've been to Amazon, and I've had a dig through the reviews, and I've, I've dug this one up, and I think it might... Uh, I, I get the feeling that you, you may be nodding along to this. 
The title for this review is Great Rock Opera, Poor Rendition. This great classic rock opera was poorly directed and delivered. Quite disappointing for anyone who knows how much better it could be and has been. One star. Yeah, yeah, I am nodding along, Trevor. And and I don't want to say it so much because it's not a bad film, you know, and it's it's just such a shame that, yeah, it was so changed from its source material. But then I suppose when you think about it, you know, I don't know if you're familiar, you know, with the musical that well, but it's very much pretty much a whole heap of hippies singing songs that are very linked very loosely and you can see the plot coming through a, you know a little bit in the film but they've changed a lot of things like i think the role of claude who ends up is the guy from oklahoma that comes um you know that's going to be drafted he's actually one of the hippies so it changes a lot of the context of the songs and a lot of times too they just break out into you know the songs you know this is in the movie version i mean they break out into the songs just because they have nowhere else to put it or they'll use it as a backing track or something like that so it is quite a mis- mishmash in that respect but you know it, it, in its defense having come into it you know originally as a fan of it from a movie point of view i can't diss it from that point of view so <laughs> fair enough and and yeah you do mention it because i mean i'm i'm not um i'm not that familiar with the the musical itself i do have the musical um Soundtrack yep. <laughs> on vinyl as a, as a prized possession, uh, but uh, coming in, I came in pretty fresh because uh, I wasn't that familiar with the movie, and and I certainly haven't actually seen the musical. But um, you mentioned the the main character there, Claude, uh, being the uh, the Vietnam uh, draft, um, played by John Savage, and uh, when he first turns up, I mean, it's very drab and very grey and got this very rural area and everything's very dull and understated as he gets uh, gets taken to, to the bus by his father. Um, and I, I really do get the idea that um, that, that was a very deliberate choice. Uh, and it was also very lucky that the bus came right on time just as I got there as <laughs> yeah. well, because, you know, I can be hanging around too long and that missed. <laughs> uh, but then... <laughs> then, uh, then as he travelled along, and, and as he got further away, and as he got closer to New York, um, you know the 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 colours got brighter, and everything got sunnier, and uh, he finally arrives in New York in the middle of a of a hippie sing and, and dance along. Yeah, and it seems like everything seems to revolve around Central Park for some reason in this movie. It's like they got a really um, a good deal on location shooting there or something like that because, yeah, it seems like we, we are introduced to Claude arriving there from his very bleak, you know, bleak, um, misty, um, foggy um, opening. And, yeah, that was one thing that hit me, Trevor, was, yeah, I was wondering why I've always, you know, always found that opening sequence so um, slow and, and that sort of has set up the whole fact that, you know, he's gone from this bleak lifestyle to this very age of Aquarius, um, you know, hippie lifestyle, which, oh, how appropriate, that is the infamous song which is playing at the time. But I actually think it's a clever scene where they actually, it sets up, it's almost like it could have been a scene from the musical. It's um, like they've set up um, all the um, founding characters, I mean, sorry, the main characters like um, Beverly and D'Angelo's characters, the hippies, um, Claude, and um, and I suppose all the dancers, you know. And, and it was quite a clever way of sort of merging them all and introducing them in one big scene. But it did end up being quite an interesting scene, let's just say, as soon as horses became involved in the dance routines, etc. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. 
you've got a lot of um, you've got um, I think it's Twyla Tharp, I think that's how you pronounce it. She was famous for being a Broadway choreographer, and um, you could and she did all the choreography. And there were some interesting things there, and a few dance moments where I actually scratched my head and thought to myself, Trevor, I don't think hippies would have actually done that dance. But you know, as I said, it was made sort of twelve years after the fact, so maybe they're thinking no one would remember. But what am I? To, who am I to say to criticize them about that? They lived through it more than I did. <laughs> so yeah, so that's very um, relevant, quite you know, throughout. So yeah. At least they set that up quite early on, and, and there seems to be like they throw every every conceivable song at you within the first sort of five and ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, it definitely um, right from the start, it, it doesn't line up with the music. I mean, we we got the the iconic the Age of Aquarius. Um, then after Claude gives them one coin, the the hippies suddenly have enough money to rent a horse, so that one of them who wants to ride a horse gets a chance to ride a horse. Uh, never mind the fact that they said they were all hungry and one of them was pregnant. No, no, they, yeah. they've got to make sure that this guy gets to ride the horse. Yeah. Um, and uh, rides up beside uh, <laughs> beside uh, Sheila, Beverly D'Angelo's character, and then launches into yet another, uh, shall we say, very colourful song that was quite entertaining, but certainly shows that this probably isn't a movie for kids. Yeah, definitely. And it probably, it's also made you realize straight off how controversial the stage show would have come out when it came out in, in I'm so, sorry, how controversial the stage show was when it came out in 1966, I think was a very, very first sort of off Broadway production. So being quite controversial. So coming out in 1979, but hey, I must admit, you know, this and a couple of other songs were, there were a couple of moments where you went, oh, this is so not PC nowadays. So yeah, and that is some, you know, talk about a way to win over the, um, the upper class debutante, you know, on, on the horse. But yeah, um, it, it seemed like they just kept riding around the same area or you know, it's the same thing in a circle, the whole park. I don't know. It just seemed to be constantly um, going on the same way. <laughs> yeah, well, they did to a point until uh, yeah, the hippie falls off, so Claude jumps on and gets his chance to show off his horsemanship by doing tricks and then uh, proceeds to ride way in front of them so that when they get to a fork in the road, they just, Beverly D'Angelo just rides off in a different direction, pretty much ignoring what he's uh, what he's getting up to. Meanwhile, the hippies are breaking out into yet another song, so <laughs> got to cram another one in there. So, and I think yeah, they did. Yep, yep. I think it's from there that we you know. I think that pretty much you know he's revealed to them that he's going to be drafted. But I think it's that they're like, oh, stop, stop being drafted. We're going to go and get you really high. So they they take him pretty much into a tunnel and and smoke hashish. And this is yet another excuse to bring out a song. And I, and I I love it. I think the song's actually called Hashish. And pretty much the um, lyrics are pretty much them um, reciting. You know, things like, you know, like cough syrup and, um, you know, shoe polish and all, all these other things they sniff and whatever. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so as you can see, it was quite yeah. colourful for the time that it would have come out and I suppose even by the late 70s. So that they don't, the, the hippies didn't hold back in, in introducing Claude, but it does sort of put an interesting spin on it, the fact that Claude was originally a hippie in the first, in the original stage. So, so I'm just trying to think the context. I really think they're just singing about what they like to smoke. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that that song was was quite fun. But uh, when uh, when they started uh, singing the song with regards to uh, what the uh, what the baby would be once the uh, oh the yes, chick, um, I should probably remember her name. Uh, oh, is it Jeannie? Jeannie or Jean? Jeannie? Yeah, yeah, Jeannie. Yeah, I think it's the song. Jeannie, Jeannie. Yeah, the song's "Coloured Spade." If that kind of gives a bit of an indication into the um, yeah, the kind con- the connotations with that one. So. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I don't see them, uh, if they ever did try to do the movie again, I, I don't see them including that song. Yeah, and I'm actually quite surprised. I I think I, I heard the, there was a new Broadway production from about two or three years ago, and I was actually really quite surprised the song was still in the production. So, the same lyrics and everything. So, yeah, that's quite interesting. I suppose you could always say it's historic. That's your way around it. But, yeah, Eve, I think even watching it now, it's quite controversial because, again, every lyric is pretty much him listing every possible, I suppose, what we'd now see derogatory term for African-Americans. So, um, yeah, so hair was very cutting edge, especially in the way it portrayed a lot of this stuff, you know, in a musical of, of all things. I do like, like, you know, leading into that, Ford's telling them, what he's going to do before he heads to the draft office and, you know, he wants to take a, a ferry ride around the harbour and see the Statue of Liberty and he wants to check out some other stuff while he's got the chance. And so what do they do? They they go, oh, we'll take care of you, get him high and uh, let him sleep in an underpass uh, in Central Park for his uh, his first night in New York. And and then as he tries to leave, they just want to let him get away because uh, that's when... Um, the uh, the main uh, the main hippie guy uh, Berger, uh, played by Treat Williams, um, gets him back to show him uh, show him that he's found a newspaper with uh, Beverly D'Angelo's um, debutante ball prominently plastered in the society pages, so they know exactly where to find her and, and when. And it seemed like another excuse yet again to um to, to go and, and sing another song because there's the uh, that song I got life which he sings hanging off the chandelier. So we, as you can see, they do end up crashing the party. So they um yeah. So it seemed like another excuse for them to do that because this is another part where it gets quite confusing because in the original stage show, Sheila's actually a protester. That's sort of she's not a hippie, but she's very much I suppose the way Beverly D'Angelo sort of dresses and all that is very similar to that. But Sheila plays, yeah, a, a protesting student that ends up, you know, becoming friends with the hippies. So it was quite strange that they sort of changed it a lot and it was like they were really trying to flesh it out even more and, and giving sort of, rather than them just breaking out into the next song, giving them a whole new scene to build them a, around. And obviously the um, the party scene doesn't end up quite well with him dancing along the table and all sorts of things. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But uh, you do notice, like, it's probably like one of the things where where you see that the movie lacks a bit of consistency because when when she's riding around the park and she's being harassed by these hippies and and their new friend Claude, she's very aloof and she barely glances at them and it's just like, oh no, stay away from me, you smelly hippies. Uh, but once they turn up at a at uh, at the ball and and start singing, she. The cat's back to her, and she's just grinning, and she's obviously loving these hippies that have suddenly turned up that she's uh, obviously been spending most of her time ignoring and giving no consideration to. Yeah. Uh, It's a very, very, a very quick change of character for her. But remember, they were getting stoned in the bedroom as they were getting ready, so maybe she was off with the fairies at the time. (laughs) I don't know. Oh, that's right. Yep, debut times with a doobie. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, good name for a band, maybe or an album. I don't know. We digress. <laughs> but I think I think it's pretty much from there when they get caught at the um at the uh, sorry at the party when they get sort of taken to I won't say the prison, but they get taken to the courthouse and then they sort of get interrogated by the officers, I suppose what you could say, and we're led into the the um, iconic theme song, Hair, which actually, you know, was really quite exciting. And, and that's one thing I haven't said up till now is all the way that the songs are, are, are filmed are really quite exciting. And I compare it a lot to, you know, a musical we've looked at before, The Wiz, which was filmed in all, you know, different parts of 
of um, New York. And I remember us looking at the um, filming of that by Sydney Lumet going, oh, the, you know, it was so badly edited. But one thing I noticed with this, the dance sequences were just so fun and, and energetic. And God, you'd want to love it. Within the first 20 minutes, you're throwing probably about <laughs> 10 or 15 different versions or medleys and all sorts of things. And, um, and yeah, so, you know, and by the time we're getting to hair, yeah, a, a very clever way of doing it and obviously throwing hair around it in, in lots of blow dryers and wind machines, you know, obviously seems to be the way to go and was quite appropriate. Yeah, I mean, but, um, I mean, you got some of the lyrics, you know, my hair is a home for the fleas, a hive for the bees and stuff like that. But that hair that was being blown around and showing, um, and, and just going everywhere, that, that had no fleas in it. That looks like it was straight from a shampoo commercial. Um, yeah, probably. That's what they probably just cast it that way. Flinging their hair to one side and it was streaming out in the breeze. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks, be- it looks better on camera that way, the, l- the less dirty. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, no, I did like that. And yeah, and the, yeah, the, the way they staged the, um, stage the dance numbers is so well. That said, being a fan of the musical now, yeah, you do see even up to this point how many songs they have skipped out or, or the context in which they've sort of put them into, you know, and I think, in I suppose Milos Forman's defence, it was probably a lot to do, and I don't know if I can, I'm not sure if he ended up. He would have had something to do with adapting the screenplay, but or making the screenplay. But it would have been a conscious effort to flesh it out and make it, you know, make it have a bit more substance. But I don't know. It still found it really hard to sort of get into the characters and sort of feel anything for them. Aside from possibly, I don't know, Berger. I think the Treat Williams character is the lead hippie. He he was very likable and, and he felt very much the the leader of the show and, and that sort of harks back a lot to the stage show which essentially Bergen narrates it sort of he gets up in front of the audience and, and, and sort of tells the story of all the different their beliefs and then burning their draft cards and then they'll break out into the different songs so I suppose it stems a lot from that and I think you needed it because you wouldn't want to um, have John Savage leading it I, I felt his performance was quite <laughs> quite wooden or, or shocked almost constipated even <laughs> yeah he, he did walk around just Looking stunned at uh, at most of what was going on, he, he didn't really seem to have a great deal of range, um, except perhaps when uh, when they get out of the the prison and like Berger actually ends up going to his parents to get the bail money to get everybody else out after he uses Claude's emergency fifty dollars to get himself out of prison uh, <laughs> um, to get him bailed out, uh, and they all end up at this uh, big concert back at Central Park. And uh, around comes the, uh, was it the Pounds, Shillings and Dime Man, if you just think about those initials emblazoned across a hat. Yeah. Uh, who very ritualistically uh, gives everyone in the line a, a cube and he runs out when he gets to Claude just before he gets to Burger. Uh, and Burger looks very put out by that. Yeah, but, but like, uh, I love how he's got his tongue stuck out as far as he possibly could, like it's, like it's breakfast yeah. time. <laughs> but, um, very much. But it's sort of into this territory, Trevor, that I kind of, um, it's, that, this, the, this part of the movie always annoys me because it is just so, can't say way out, but it's not even way out in a hair kind of way. Like he, okay, he has his LSD trip, but I've seen LSD trips done in movies possibly 10 years before this done better than the way it's done and I, and I think it's they're pretty much in a farmhouse in a barn with lots of smoke and I think obviously it's you know sort of you know referencing sort of um Claude's background but and a lot of Beverly D'Angelo hovering on wires and things and I always I remember watching this movie with a friend a couple of years ago and we just looked at each other at this bar and went what the hell you know I suppose it probably sums up an acid trip and an excuse to throw in as many songs as they could that they cut out of the out of the musical it's very very much a, a yeah 
yeah, definitely a, a mashup of songs during that. But uh, I think this is probably like up till this point, I really was kind of uh, just going with them, enjoying myself, and then this whole sequence started, and particularly the way that that Berger was behaving, um, it seemed to be some some cracks in the facade. It was about this time that I was also finding that Berger was actually like quite domineering, like didn't see seemed quite the fun, easygoing guy that, that was originally portrayed. And and then this whole yeah, I was just really having issues with the the LSD dream sequence. It was uh, it's such a departure from what has come before, and and yeah, like you said, it's just it's just weird. It, I know it's not meant to be the most heinous thing out there, but it just clashes so much with with everything else that's going on, and and it kind of really takes you out of it yeah handled so much better like i think it could have been but you know that's yeah and that's probably one of the big parts of it that i've always scratched my head and gone what the hell is this so and um yeah so i was happy when this ended because it just seemed to go for ages that bit as well oh it goes way too long (laughs) long long trip for claude maybe he wanted to stay in there as long as he could so he didn't have to go back into being in the movie (laughs) but anyway yeah yeah he Get back to looking constipated, I believe. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if I've got it right chronologically, but I think it's now we it kind of redeems itself by going into the other sort of cheeky scene, the um the black boys and white boys scenes. I think it's now. Oh no, sorry. I think I'm skipping ahead because Claude has after his trip. He's yeah, pretty yeah. much. Oh, you, you you skip the whole skinny dipping scene. Oh yes, I keep thinking that. Of course, that <laughs> happens before he goes. Yes, because the. Uh, hair being famous for its nude scene at the end of Act One, I always, I got the feeling this was thrown in as a uh, we better do it to keep the fans happy. Yeah, got to make sure we get some some boobs there, even if they you know they're just Beverly the Angelos. Um, but I did <laughs> notice, like, because they all they all dive into this lake in, in Central Park, and um, Claude and Sheila they they do keep their you know the, their briefs on. Um, even though we get to see the butts of everybody else, and as they come out, they find that everyone else has disappeared and stolen their clothes. Um, and then you have Sheila get really annoyed, and she actually hails a taxi, you know, naked except for briefs and dripping wet, uh, and gets in a taxi, and then suddenly everybody else turns up fully dressed and completely dry, and hand their <laughs> clothes to Claude, hand Claude his clothes, and he's completely dry too. It's just like, that's just, um, I, I just, couldn't help but notice the just just how quickly he was bone dry. Yeah, it's um, a really bad editing <laughs> there, scene. I think, or bad continuity. So, yeah, I did notice that as well. So, and then of course I've got the whole saga having to get the bag back to her. But anyway, so I um and I think so. Yeah, I think from here it's kind of going into the whole. So they've had their they've had their he's had his fun with the hippies. So I think it's now time to get serious, and he's got to go off to be to be drafted. And there's I actually really like that clever scene with um where do I go, which is him walking through the city and they're all, all the people around with all the bags and they're all sort of ducking and I don't know, it's quite well done. It's probably the only, it, it was sort of the first one in a while where he'd gone back to doing sort of a musical sequence because, you know, aside obviously from the LSD trip, it had been sort of a while in the movie where we'd had a sort of song like that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that song and then um, going in, uh, I suppose again, another homage to the nude scene, there's... Uh, all the all the recruits get to stand in front of the selection board, all um, you know, completely nude, covering their bits with their hands, and then that recruitment song started. <laughs> the um, uh, white boys, black boys, and that 
that was glorious. I was I was laughing. Yeah, it was so clever. Because I think yeah. in the original stage show, like it's just sung by yeah two two um two women or you know of um yeah, and it's so funny how they've changed it for to be the um the recruitment officers, you know, and the, the sort of being sort of backup vocals and doing it sort of doo wop style. It's very very funny, and I have actually screened hair before, and I do remember that in that particular scene, the audience was roaring with laughter. So that was a very clever clever um decision actually to go you know go against the source material and i think it was something that the movie needed around that point because it was about to get very serious as soon as the war stuff starts coming in you start to, to sort of um wane away from it being a, a sort of a movie musical where they break out into song because they were starting to hit on some heavy stuff but then hair was never supposed to be light it was about a response to the vietnam war but you know i you know sort of yeah as i said that was a sort of last glimpse before things started to get a bit gloomy yeah, because I mean, it was after that, um, and the Lord goes off, and they they go back to the the hippie group. That it really, again, um, I was finding like Berger's uh, domination of the group getting rather unsettling, and then, or oh, to top that off, suddenly uh, Lafayette um, is is faced with his uh, his ex and his child, and he is he's just brutal to them. They even have a shot to the kid just, you know, with tears coming down his cheeks and he, he storms off and, and the rest of them try to sort of like chase him to bring him back and and then there's just this, this heartbreaking song from his ex just out of nowhere, very subtle, very very still, no no wild dancing with that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, but these, these guys, I, I was liking them to this point but now they're they're really not very nice people. It's it's like they've just neglected their everyday life to go and live these hippie lifestyles and and left everyone else behind so they can go and ride horses and, and collect change. So yeah, it's at that point that you start to realise you know it's a bit strange. But then I don't know. I can't remember if what the the um the segue was. But going it that you know it goes from her singing the song and then the next thing she's going along with them to go and see Claude. I can't remember. I, I, it escapes me how the how it gets to that stage. <laughs> yeah, well, because she was talking to Jeannie, because she's wondering if, if the, the child that Jeannie's carrying is, is Lafayette's child. And she's going on, just saying, oh, who's ever's child it is? I don't mind. And from from that, she's, yeah, she's persuaded to, to join in on the, the road trip so that they can go and uh, go and visit Claude in Nevada at the army base, which is a very... Very sudden, strange decision. They, they, uh, Sheila runs up with a letter from Claude and they find out where he is and that's it. They're, they're doing a road trip and, and they're also taking, uh, Lafayette's ex and child along with them for the ride because, because. Yeah, because that's just <laughs> what they do. Yeah. An excuse for them to all sing in the car and all those other things. I don't know. But yeah, it was quite strange around this point because yeah, as you said, you've got them going, um, him going off to the army, but, Actually, while we're talking about that, the um, I'm actually like not that I normally enjoy films that deal with this sort of subject matter, but when that training montage was actually really well done, and I think it was over the song, I think it was Walking in Space, I can't remember, and um, while he's training, and it's actually really well edited together, and um, you know, and really gets through it quite quickly, and sort of gives you, yeah, it gives you a bit of an idea of what sort of training these these guys would have gone through, and yeah, I, I thought that was quite um, quite well done. Yeah, it was definitely well put together, but um, it was also 
Yeah, like again, when you look at the the first part of the movie and, and leading up to that point, it was very serious and in some cases quite brutal. I mean, they they certainly didn't um, didn't hold back <laughs> with with showing uh, what these uh, what these guys were going through in their training. Um, and and then that's flicked over to um, to again the hippies in the car having a sing along with with uh, with Sheila singing "Good Morning uh, Sunshine." Um, even though the at that point the the kid has completely disappeared, that that kid is not in that car. He's sick of it. That song. He's sick of their singing. <laughs> that has to be it. <laughs> like, where, where did he go? <laughs> there's a mum. There's a mum joining in with the song. Yeah. But there's no sign of the kid. <laughs> but yeah, and then it's but I, yeah, and then we're leading into what we know is we sort of get the feeling we know it's going to be a, a sort of an inevitable sort of ending there, and then I think. Is it before? Oh, yeah, it's before that that they go and no, it's after that that they go and um, steal the uniform so they can. Oh no, sorry, it's before. Yeah, I can't remember the order, but they steal Sheila goes and seduces the um, the guy in the the pub, and um, so that she can you know get the uniform so the burger could go in and get clawed. That's it. Sorry, I just had to remember the order. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, it, it happens rather fast, and it includes a, a great bit where they're uh, where Beverly D'Angelo is driving off with this guy and. Um, Somehow getting him out of his uniform and getting it on herself while he's driving, and then uh, the hippies um, kind of you know come out, they drive behind him, and then they manage to to screech their tires on a dirt road, which is something I always find annoying in movies. <laughs> it's like no, it gives it a bit, it gives it a bit more effect. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, not a good choice. Yeah, it gives it a <laughs> stupid effect. Um, <laughs> And, and yeah, so there's a big, long of old plan and, um, leaving the, the poor army guy stuck in his underwear in the middle of the desert. So, you know, that's, uh, that's pleasant. But it's funny how, like, we were talking earlier about how, um, Berger gets really quite pushy and things like that and, and sort of always gets his way. But again, he manages to weasel his, wear the uniform, have a haircut and weasel his way. And the next thing he's, he's got, um, you know, army guys taking orders from him. Like so, he manages to get himself. It also, and as you're saying about it happening so quickly, it all seems so seems to happen so easily as well. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and there again, part of the the big plan is uh, he, they they realise that they can't sneak Claude off base because they they keep doing head counts and keep checking them very uh, very readily. And so, okay, that's it. We'll we'll swap uniforms again. Um, so that Claude can pretend to be the senior officer getting off the base and, and, and Berger sort of like fills in for him while, uh, while he goes off to join the, the picnic that's been set off, set up nearby. Mm. And I, I think this is where they, they tried. I don't think we've, we've touched on it because it's barely there. The whole Claude and, and Sheila romance that keeps trying to be set up, but there's just nothing there. Yeah. Even at the end of that, this picnic, yeah, there's the picnic where, you know, they're, they're meant to be having a tender moment together. I think the, the most romantic they get is a, is a peck on the cheek. Um, there's just no chemistry between those two. The, the whole, um, yeah, the whole burgeoning love story between these, these two, I don't know, squares, straights, whatever you want to call them, just falls flat. At one point I thought, you know, that, that, that Sheila was, was way more interested in Berger than, than Claude, uh, because she just seemed to react so much better to, to that character. 
and it was like they were really, yeah, forcing a relationship or, or you know, like, we've got to have a love interest in this, this movie, big screen adaptation, you know, whereas, you know, in the original, I can't, you know, I can't remember how Sheila fits in with whether she falls in love with one of them. I don't think she does. So again, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, have they gone and, and done, and made a lot of these changes just so they can, it can be more movie friendly. But in terms of chemistry, it's not there at all. And all of it just seems so forced. Like the hippies are trying to force them the whole time to get together. And it's just, yeah, he's just standing there with his constipated look and she, she couldn't be, she couldn't be staffed, I don't think. <laughs> Pretty much. But yeah, I mean, I guess it was already taken a bit of a serious turn, but then this is the point where it takes its, its very serious twist, um, where, uh, before they can get Claude back on base and back in his uniform, while Berg is there filling in for him, suddenly the call comes for everyone to move out and get loaded onto transport planes to be, uh, flown off to Vietnam. So that was bad timing, I think, on their behalf. But yeah, and that's where it kind of becomes quite, I remember the first time I'd seen it, you know, quite, um, quite climactic. And you're like, oh, wow. Oh my God. This is, you know, something that you weren't expecting. You knew something was going to happen. You knew someone was going to end up going off to war, but you didn't know this was going to happen. So it was a clever twist, I think. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, like, I was, I was worried that we'd get a montage of Burger over in Vietnam, but instead they, they cut back to, uh, like a big gathering of, of people. Is it outside the White House? I think, I think it is. Point, but the- yeah, but so that, that's one of those scenes where it's really well done and really quite poignant, I suppose is the word. And, you know, I think it, 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 mm. it either goes from that shot or the other way around, but it goes from a shot of, I think, rather than, you know, to sort of symbolize that he's passed, you know, he died in war, you know, they got that huge scene with all the, all the um, poppies, I think it is. Um, and then I think it then fades into that, yeah, that scene outside the White House. And it's actually quite well done. When I said we've screened, I have actually screened it in the past and a few people have, you know, got quite teary during that one bit. And it is quite well done, you know, especially something unexpected mm. for, a, for a movie musical. So, yeah, the shot of the gravestone with, with, with his name on there and then, yeah, just dissolving out and, um, you know, just launching into that, that final song. Um, yeah, it's like poignant and sad and joyful all at the same time, which I think is probably, um, the essence of, of, of the musical itself that, that they were trying to bring over to the, uh, to the, the movie as well. Yeah, just a shame it didn't quite follow as well as it could have, but I could just be a purist. That's, that's it. So, but yeah, so, but that is a, you know, that whole, um, yeah, let the sunshine in, you know, and being such an iconic song, you know, what a great, I know that's the thing that, that, that's one thing the movie is good at. It's bookended by two quite very well known songs, Age of Aquarius and Let the Sunshine In. So it's quite a, um, yeah, it is quite a, a good way to open and finish. So. Yeah, and then uh, when it fades off to the credits, we get a reprise of, of the big one, of Hair, and it was so good. It was so good to have good music over closing credits. I since we, uh, since we, uh, we are wait. forever destined to have to watch to the very end. <laughs> I, I did wait for a hairy stinger, but alas, it was 1979, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really didn't do stingers back then, Christian. I mean. <laughs> oh, well, next time. <laughs> But yeah, so, oh wow, we're at the end of the movie already, and um, yeah, we have raised a few interesting things about it, and um, and I'm hopefully I've got a few of my frustrations out about the um, about the stage adaptation of it, you know, and, and how it has um, translated onto screen. Indeed. So, uh, 
since the yeah, again, we've got to the end of the movie. Can't really go much further than the, than the closing credits. So guess it's time to work out if this movie is redeemable. Now, you chose a Christian, so I shall go first. For sure. Uh, with my thoughts. Um, and yeah, like, like you mentioned earlier, with that high rating, uh, and while I was watching it, I was thinking, why does Christian think this movie needs to be redeemed? I mean, you have explained that since. Uh, but I mean, really, it, it was an enjoyable movie. I mean, there were some dodgy moments, some pretty bad continuity, and just some, some glaring, glaring inconsistencies throughout. But uh, I think the fact that, that they stood out so much, um, is actually a bit of a testament to how good the rest of the movie is. Um, it it definitely got a bit long in the tail though. That that final third of the movie just just kept on going and uh, and it didn't have that high energy because you know the first first half of the movie is music, 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 dance, 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 outrage, 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 which is fantastic. But yeah, with with the second half you. It, it just slows right down. It just loses all momentum. Um, but, I mean, really, by the end of the day, it, it still ended up being a very enjoyable movie, and I was very happy to have watched it. And I, I don't think it should have needed our attention, because, without a doubt, it is completely redeemable, and I will be more than happy to watch it again. Oh, that's fantastic to hear, Trevor. And I almost feel as you were saying that, oh, maybe I shouldn't have chosen this, but it's good to hear that, um, yeah, good to hear that there was one that was um, more in your favour this time because it feels like it's been a while. So so I suppose you're interested to hear some of my thoughts about hair. Now, this wasn't the first time I'd seen it. I had watched it, you know, quite a few times. And as I've mentioned, I um, first fell in love with, I suppose, the musical, not not the movie, you know, via the movie. So I was quite interested in, you know, getting to know the music a lot more. And I have since got, I think, pretty much every soundtrack of it and even a, a CD of songs that were cut out of it as well and, and even the movie soundtrack. And it's interesting, even the movie soundtrack uses a lot of songs that were cut out as sort of background tracks or songs heard on the radio. So I'll give Milos Forman a bit of credit with that, that at least he was able to, to you know, give us fans something a little bit extra as well that, um, you know, that you know, making up for what it cut out. But uh, exactly what you said, Trevor, it is an enjoyable film. I found that it was a bit too long. And, yeah, I know pinpointing would probably be the um, the second half or the third act, as you mentioned. But I even found that even from sort of 25 minutes on, it sort of started to lag. When it sort of got to be less consistent, sort of at the start you were becoming, you were sort of having a song and then probably a break of two or three minutes and then another song. And then obviously it became, you know, a lot of a bigger gap, sort of about sort of half an hour into it. So that's when I was starting to find that, yeah, it was losing its energy and it sort of didn't feel the, doesn't feel the sort of this, um, the whole big movie musical that you come to expect. And it sort of does run out of steam in the second half when it does get quite heavy. But as I said before, that is essentially what Hair was all about a protest against the, um, the Vietnam War and probably showing it from the hippie point of view, which is this is, hey guys, we don't want to go to war because this is what can happen. And, and we see on screen what can happen. So I do like the fact, as I said, they use all of the songs. Um, sorry, I'm just going through my notes here. And definitely, Trevor, I can't, I can't diss the film in respect to it is enjoyable and I would happily watch it again. It disappoints me every time I watch it because I'm like, wow, I'd love to see a real movie musical of Hair. And the actual um, creators of the musical have said, oh, a real movie musical of Hair hasn't yet to be produced. So I don't know if it ever will. And I don't know if it would actually be still relevant. Most most stage shows in recent years have failed because people are saying it's not relevant anymore. So I think 
we have to contend with what we've got. So it is definitely a redeemable movie, but yeah, so many things I don't like about it. So yeah, I, I, I won't be going back to watch it too many more times again. Fair enough. But that means, though, it, at the end of the day, we have a redeemable movie. We do. Woo-hoo! Yes. It feels like it's been a while, so I'm glad. You know, I'm glad I chose wisely. Oh, actually, maybe I didn't choose wisely. I think I need to dig a bit deeper next time. <laughs> now, that's quite all right, because, you know, Christian, um, it, it may have its detractors from uh, based on fans of the musical, but it certainly has its big fans. And I've got another one, uh, another review from Amazon that I think we should uh, we should have at the as a as a final word on the movie the title of this is one of my absolute favorites this is one of my favorite films and I am, and I am always surprised at how people have never heard of it and now and how underrated it is the music and choreography are wonderful the singing is spectacular and the ending just makes me cry and cry and cry it's funny treat williams is adorable and the story is very well woven in to make the songs make sense. If you like the 60s, musicals, dancings, and stories about the Vietnam War, this is for you. Give it a try. Five stars. Oh, it's good to see it's got its fans out there. And hey, I um, when I say fans, I mean it's big, big, <laughs> hardcore fans. And um, yeah, and I, I completely support all those views as well. So, um, and they're probably someone that, that loves the movie version and hasn't, got any sort of connections too much to the stage so well who knows well i'm just glad that other people like it because like i said i certainly do as well so uh thank you christian thank you for, for picking a movie that i enjoyed so much and hopefully i can return the favor hope so too gosh i'm looking forward to what goodies we've got in store now <laughs> absolutely so uh so we shall move on uh, now, I know that, that you enjoy doing the, the movie musicals, and uh, it's one of the genres you like to uh, dip into every now and then. Um, so I'm actually going to dip into one of mine and look at the computer game to movie uh, Deep Dark Abyss again <laughs> and uh, pick a movie that's kind of relevant. Uh, in that uh, we've currently got the Assassin's Creed movie in development with uh, with Michael Fassbender. But before that, there was a movie made on the uh, kind of spiritual predecessor to the Assassin's Creed games, Prince of Persia. So I think we need to head back to 2010 and check out the Jake Gyllenhaal and Ben Kingsley movie, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Interesting. I have heard of it. I actually thought it was more recent than that. Um, yeah, I know I'm going into this completely cold and knowing it didn't know it was anything to do with Assassin's Creed or anything like that. Or is it more the fact, is that more just the video title, the fact that we're doing a video game? <laughs> yeah, well, I kind of, um, I mean, I won't delve into the history of the, of the various video game franchises, but, uh, yeah, um, it's not like a direct link, but, but the Assassin's Creed games definitely took inspiration uh, okay. from the Prince of Persia franchise, and um, and and this one, um, I mean, it's rated six point six out of ten on IMDb, so it is up there a little bit. Uh, but this is a movie that basically just didn't do any business, and and uh, Disney, who were uh, behind the scenes of this one, I believe, were were hoping it would turn into a franchise 
uh, on the scale of Pirates of the Caribbean, but that never happened, so uh, maybe we can find out why. Exactly. Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing it, Trevor, because at, at the moment all I'm thinking of is the Lawrence of Arabia for the noughties, so I might be in the totally different realm to where we're going, so <laughs> I'm going in it cold, looking forward to it. And hopefully, as you said, with a high ratings. Sorry, I was going to say, with a high rating like Hair, it, you never know, we might have another redeemable movie for us. So I'm looking forward to it. We certainly can hope. And, of course, we would love to hear from anyone out there uh, what your opinion is of Prince of Persia, The Sand of Time. Let us know your redeeming features. Let us know your reasons why you think it's not redeemable. We would love to hear from you. Uh, if you think we have been too generous on Hair... Do you think we've been too harsh? We'd love to know that as well. Uh, or even if you have any suggestions for a Redeeming Features movie that you would like to challenge us with. We've had a couple of challenges. We have not been able to redeem the movies we've been challenged to redeem. So it's always the first time. You, you never know. But you can get in touch with us super duper easy. You can head to our homepage, rufusproject.com, and leave a comment below this very episode. You can send us an email to podcast at rufusproject.com. You can find the Rufus Project super duper easily on Twitter and Facebook and get in touch with us there as well. If you do head to the homepage, I do ask that if you are currently subscribing through iTunes, we are going to have to update the feed. I am in the process of getting the new feed through iTunes at the moment. But if you want to hit that feed early, you can subscribe through rufusproject.com. There's a subscribe button on the site. But don't worry, I will definitely have both uh, both feeds going simultaneously for the time being until I know everything is running smoothly. I really want everything to run smoothly. <laughs> I'm glad we've got everything <sighs> in your capable hands, Trevor. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we, we've made some changes again after our uh, our software failed horribly the first time we tried to record hair <laughs> so uh fingers crossed we we uh have enough um, enough backup capability and fallbacks now that uh that if something falls down there's something else that's going to pick it up yeah i think we'll be fine trevor and yeah nothing's going to stand in the way of everyone hearing hair <laughs> so i'm looking forward to <laughs> looking forward to prince of persia something totally different so i'm looking forward to chatting that excellent so uh I guess that's probably a, a good spot to wrap it up. So, again, Christian, the movies, well, this time it was redeemable. They may not always be redeemable, but it is always awesome to have these chats. So, uh, thank you very much, Christian. Definitely. Thanks very much, Trevor. Always a pleasure to be able to suggest them, too, and um, indulging me in a few things. So, I'm glad we were able to redeem it. So, let's see if Prince of Persia can be the same. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. See you next time. See ya. So that it's good, what's this movie? Do you think we should? Got bad, I love dodgy creatures, but we want to know what the redeeming features. Boy? Oh boy. Christian and Trevor on the case, watching movies from all over the place. I'm the bee, says it's bad, but we want to know if it's fun to be had. Boy? Oh boy. Redeeming features.